What's up, you beautiful English learners? Welcome to the Authentic English Conversation Podcast number eight. In today's extra-long episode, I am joined by Martin Condon, the host of Martin's World Podcast. He is a dad of two and holds a BSc Honors in Herbal Science. The aim of his podcast is to facilitate conversations with people of a wide variety of backgrounds covering a number of different topics. The aim of my podcast is to get really interesting people on to have a chat about something they are passionate about. And as it turns out, myself and Martin are both passionate about some very similar things. What else? Well, we are both from Ireland. There is a lot of slang in this episode. I reached out to Martin a while back and after a bit of back and forth, we finally managed to find a day and a time that suited us both. We logged into Zoom and began talking. And before we knew it, one hour had passed. This conversation is as real as it gets. We talk about some real issues. In this particular episode, we talk about marijuana. Marijuana legalization and the end of prohibition, drug policy and drug policy reform. As I said, this episode is almost one hour long. There is slang. There is a lot of technical vocabulary. If you got any questions about this podcast, just hit me up on Instagram or Facebook or on my website. If you want to learn more about Martin, which you should, check out his website, which is www.martinsworld.ie, or go to his social media handles, which for Instagram is Martin's World Podcast. Remember, transcripts for this podcast are available on the website, so check it out. If you are keen on getting your hands on the tr- on the transcript, which includes a vocabulary and expression list, go to the website. Now, without any further ado, here we go. All right, so just to get started, um, can you tell us, uh, let's make sure I'm recording, yes, can you tell us uh, your name, where you're coming from, and what was the last meal that you ate? Uh, Martin Condon coming at you from Cork City, uh, the Glen, more so speci- specifically the north side. And uh, the last thing I ate, um, it was a liquid beverage actually with 50 grams of fat inside there, uh, coffee with butter and coconut oil and a cacao blend with some mushroom extracts added in as well. Um, so that was that's my morning, morning routine. <laughs> oh, that sounds absolutely delicious. Yeah, and before that, it was a pizza yesterday. So, yeah. <laughs> what, what type of what type of pizza? Um, pepperoni, uh, double pepperoni, actually. <laughs> Very nice. I actually had pizza last night as well. Pepperoni as well with some sausage and some extra cheese. So, it was Friday night. Like, what else are you gonna do? So, yeah, exactly. I was kind of happy I didn't have a, a load of biscuits and tea last night. Um, that's normally the binge. <laughs> And so, Martin, I found you on um, Reddit. I found you on Facebook not too long ago, and I saw your news segment called the 420 News. So for anyone who's listening to this who has not heard of it, what is the 420 News, please? Yeah, it was just uh, something that I kind of just thought up. Uh, it went back to years ago when I, I used to be uh, running the Car Cannabis Activist, uh, Car Cannabis Club page on Facebook and I used to try to schedule posts every day for 420 
and I used to use the hashtag 420news back then. And all it was, I was just sharing an article and giving my thoughts and opinions on that article um, from the perspective of a person uh, within the cannabis community. And um, yeah, I kind of stopped doing that then years ago um, and I left it alone for a while. I started off this new podcast, Martin's World. And um, from that then I was kind of, I found myself, I was just ranting a bit too much about some of these uh, news articles and I needed to get a bit more structure into it. So I just was like, oh, the 420 News actually make a show within my show, within my podcast, uh, Martin's World. I said I'd start doing the 420 News where I would just digest uh, news articles that were out there, um, kind of relevant to the cannabis community, whether inside Ireland or outside Ireland. I like to start internationally and tie all of the stories then back into Ireland as I go through the show. So that's kind of the aim of it. I wanted to be a bit more structured and less of just some guy ranting about the news, like, you know, because that's how it started off. I would just hit that live button on Facebook and I'd be like, look, guys, look at this news article. Look what this guy is saying. Look at the waste of time resources that's going on here fighting this failed war on drugs. And um, yeah, the thing just kind of grew from there just naturally. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about your general podcast? Is there a difference between Martin's World and the 420 News? Yeah, Martin's World, I suppose uh, it was my aim is to try to interview people through Martin's World and uh, just get the, the perspective from different people um, within the drug policy scene. So um, it, my whole journey started off with being around cannabis, and that seems to be the, the central focus of the podcast. But I am definitely the secondary focus will be drug policy, just wider drug policy. Um, so that's kind of what Martin's World is about, um, more interview based. And uh, when I started doing these videos on my own, um, that's where the 420 News then kind of came into it. Um, so I just needed to kind of divert those all off. But they're all under that Martin's World umbrella. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. So I am going to be including description in the description. There's definitely going to be many links to all your platforms and everything. So I'm hoping some of the people listening will check it out and start yeah. to learn a little bit about the whole well whatever everything you're going for so tommy legalization drug policy reform why do we need drug policy reform and what is it yeah so i suppose people are probably more aware of what prohibition is and uh, the, the illegality of drugs well the drug policy reform then is kind of just acknowledging that we've tried this now for nearly 40 or 50 years we're trying to rid drugs we've had a war on drugs and it's it's absolutely fa- absolutely failed like it's caused so many uh, nasty things in, in our society which with the rise of say some of the drug gangs in Ireland you see the Kinnahans the the Hutches and uh, some of the other more nefarious characters there you had the murder of Veronica Guerin um, solely just for covering um, these drug gangs and their activities and maybe some of the, uh, the, the corruption that lies in there with um, these gangs working with Gardaí and stuff. So it's just we just have to acknowledge that our, our drug policies are disastrous. Prohibiting drug use is uh, it's terrible. Um, if, if we were to turn around in the morning and ban alcohol and tobacco and coffee, which are all drugs as well, um the, the world would be upheaval like there would be revolutions everywhere the governments would lose all sorts of control um it's only because uh, these drug policies affect minorities in our communities so when the, the drug war started it was actually targeted at minority groups such as mexicans and black people within uh, the southern southern states of america 
um, just during that era at the beginning of Prohibition. It was incredibly racist, and um, it spilled over then from there. Like America's, where America was the big pusher of uh, drug policy change in terms of bringing Prohibition about in, within the UN. And now we see America actually are changing. Uh, they have states now that are decriminalizing all drugs. Um, so it, I hope now that's reflected in the at the UN level. So in December, the UN are gathering in Vienna and they're going to be kind of going over the, the narcotics, um, the, the UN Convention on Narcotics. I think there's a revision of it going on and uh, hopefully there will be positive changes there um, reflected on the, the changing landscape such as America now having more states with cannabis access than not. I think that's absolutely crazy what's happening in the US. I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. And I remember a couple of years ago reading about Colorado and what they were doing legalizing it. And I was watching some videos on Periscope, uh, which is like mm-hmm. something similar to Instagram or something. And it was yeah. people going into pot shops and just looking at all the things you had available. And myself and my buddy were sitting in Dublin thinking, what are we doing here? We're calling this guy, a dealer who we don't know. And we have to go down some back alley to meet him in the pissing rain on a Friday night when it's dark. And we don't know who we're actually going to be meeting. And we do not know what we're going to be smoking either. So, yeah, the case for legalization is just massive. Yeah, I, I use my I share my own lived experience and I kind of put my head in the chopping block in, in doing so. In, in that, like when I was a young person, the keeping drugs illegal didn't keep them from my access. The regulation around alcohol done better at keeping it from me. It, it wasn't perfect. It didn't keep it from me ultimately, but it was actually easier to get drugs than it was ever to get alcohol. And um, as I kind of say, getting alcohol, sometimes you'd have to wait three to four or five hours. Maybe the person who's getting it for you has to finish work and uh, they'll go and then get it for you. Whereas my drug dealer, uh, who I used to get my hash off of, sure, he was on welfare and uh, he was always available. <laughs> and and he actually gave me a job, <laughs> Do you know, because I, I was working at the time. Uh, my dad luckily gave me a sweeping brush and there you go, look, 30 euro a day, go down and sweep the, the floor of the warehouse during the summer. But sure, all those 30 euros added up. And at the end of the, the week, I was able to buy a block of hash, an ounce of hash. And I would share that then with my friends. I would keep a quarter. I would sell three quarters. My friends wouldn't be able to give me the money then, but they gave it to me during the week. <laughs> and uh, I didn't have to pay for my quarter then. But kind of now looking back in it, I was a drug dealer. Um, and and it grew from there, you know. I, I might get a, a quarter this week and then, or an ounce this week. And then maybe during the week, actually, my friends wanted more. So I would go in and get another ounce and deal to them. And uh, bef- you know, before you know it, you just kind of step up from there. Well, that's exactly how it starts. And that's exactly what's happened to a lot of people in Ireland. And that's because it is so expensive to smoke in Ireland as well. So I'm living here in Canada. And as you know, it is 100% legal now. And I moved here five years ago. So when I moved to Canada, it wasn't legal, but it was like a gray area where they had pot shops open, but just the police force decided not to go after them, not to really crack down on marijuana. They did not care about it at all. And now when it's 100% legal, you can literally just walk into a shop. And if you're over the age of, I think it's 19 in British Columbia, you can just buy whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. I take a lot of inspiration actually from uh, the Canadian uh, couple there, uh, Mark and uh, Jody Emery. Um, you're probably aware and heard of them. So they started off the cannabis culture kind of lounge 
and it was like a vape lounge. Um, they didn't sell cannabis there. They sold bongs, vaporizers and things. But what they allowed was you could test out the merchandise before you bought it. Maybe they would have like some stuff around them and you could bring in your own bud and consume there. And that's what I'm aiming to do now soon with uh, the car cannabis activist hub is um, it's not to facilitate the sale and supply or anything. It's just to bring the community together. If people bring their own bud, look, uh, it's going to be set on the door. No, no smoking inside and what have you. But look, um, what goes on behind closed doors and the privacy of a, of a club is is only the kind of uh, it's it's only up to the members really. It's it's only there. You know? But if you can provide a safe place for people to consume cannabis, that's number one. And I safe have been to place. I have been to that lounge with Emery's. I have been to Emery's lounge, and it is so chilled, so relaxing. People go in, read a newspaper, drink a coffee, smoke some cannabis. Yeah. That's 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 what you do. You, there's no fights breaking out. There's no one slurring their words. There is no rancid smell of stale alcohol in the air or anything like that. So, I mean, I love those lounges. Yeah, really nice place and I imagine really nice people. But the important thing that what happens there is the networking of the cannabis community and organizing and how they can be represented and the policies that uh, kind of get made. Now, obviously, in Canada, they, they weren't very successful initially in having the community represented at the policy level. But look, that's no fault of the activists. They did try very hard. And um, I, I just think it's something we can learn from then. And um, that's why I'm really trying to strengthen the community here in Ireland. I think cannabis legalization is coming. Um, decriminalization, I reckon, is going to happen here within the next year, uh, I reckon. Um, I'm probably overly optimistic, people will say. Um, but look, I'm, I'm always been that way and I don't mind. <laughs> well, I can see it happening, especially just recently when it was the, um, oh, what was it? The Irish Farmers Association. They were calling on the government to let them start growing marijuana now be it cbd or thc i'm not exactly sure but once the farmers in ireland start getting involved that's when we start to see a lot of real change big time yeah i, I always kind of said that when i started uh, i don't know if you've seen the little protest i done where i brought um yes seeds into the garden station in, in a pot and I, I wanted to be done for cultivation because essentially once i put seeds into the, the, the pot that was breaking the law that was the act of uh, cultivating cannabis so I, I wanted the I was trying to actually call out to the, the Farmers uh, Association of Ireland that maybe even pick up on that campaign because they're they're incredibly disadvantaged on the world stage competing in this kind of CBD market, even our hemp market, because there's only 64 varieties they can grow here in Ireland off of that EU members list of, uh, of hemp varieties. And none of them are designed for CBD products. Um, all of them are for fiber seed and, and that's it that was the only use of these uh, strains when they were developed so there's a, a dire need now um, in order to allow our farmers here in Ireland who are already growing cannabis uh, to do it more effectively and um, to give them access to these better strains with better terpene profiles better flavonoids and um, you can still keep the 0.2 0.3% THC and um, you know you can still keep that there obviously I, I wouldn't want to see it there um, but you could still keep that there and improve the other qualities of the plant uh, while maintaining that low level of THC. Um, as I say, the terpenes, the flavonoids, all of these things are incredibly valuable to, to the extracts and uh, the current strains that they're growing. They're just not there. They're, they're like stale, dried old, weak old tea bags. That's kind of what the hemp extract from Ireland tastes like. Um, it's rotten. It's completely absent of anything flavorful. Um, they have to add, add in the flavors actually afterwards, to be honest. Uh, you're getting mint, chocolate, orange, 
think they're the kind of the flavors now that are out there for some of the uh, the Irish CBD brands. Not nice. Yeah, <laughs> I am not in favor of that kind of stuff at all. I just think if you have to add in a flavor, it's just not worth it. Just keep it purely natural. Now, it's easy for me to say I'm living in Canada where they can experiment yeah. and do whatever they want. But if you're in Ireland, you have to go by the rules, unfortunately, for the majority of people. Yeah, but, but people need to challenge those rules, I think, now at this stage. Um, they've gone on now so long um, and remained in place. We had a cannabis legalization party start off in Cork City back in the 1990s. Um, so that'll tell you how long people have been arguing with our politicians here for change in law in this area. And uh, just the, the ignorance now at this stage, it's just, it's sinful, really. Like it, 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 what they do is more of a crime than the people who break these rules are, you know, really. And you see the parents out there uh, crying to get access for their kids. Um, you're just like, geez, how, how aren't these politicians acting upon this? Um, but it's, I don't know, they just have no emotions or something. So how do the people put pressure on the policymakers? What is the way to go about it? Yeah, um, there's, there's numerous ways you can go about it. Um, one of the ways uh, one activist here in Cork done was uh, he went in the city and he got people to sign letters so an individual could come up to him and sign a letter that he had pre-printed out and it was addressed to the Taoiseach of Ireland and uh, he was asking people look give me a euro and I'm going to give you a stamp basically that's the cost of a stamp I think he was giving people the envelopes for free as well so he was covering that cost himself but he, he had a big letter campaign and uh, his idea is look uh, the Taoiseach's office is going to be getting thousands of letters uh, i think he gave out over a thousand letters uh, and other people were able to print it online and send it to so that that was one way of putting pressure on it um it's it's definitely a way but i think it's a very slow way because it can be so easily ignored i, I think one of the more effective ways and um it's been shown through the ages is just straight up all the old-fashioned civil disobedience um just nice peaceful you know keep a nice peaceful and like it's in the word civil disobedience like we're being civil about it and um, we're basically highlighting unjust laws that cause more harm to our society um and that the politicians who basically they're, they're democratically elected and they're not representing the views of the public currently and um, they won't engage on the, with the public on these issues um because they don't want to be seen i, I don't know it's, it's very hard i think for them now to argue against any anybody who argues for legalization or drug policy reform um, and I think that that's why they're afraid to actually engage with it, because as soon as they engage, they know they're going to be shown up for, you know, the, the kind of, um, I don't know, the, the emotionless kind of people that they can be, that they're willing to admit that, let's say, a person who's addicted to heroin, the best way we can help them is by punishing them. Like, that's, that is horrible. That is absolutely horrible. It's disgusting. Yeah. And that was, a, that came from the, the mouth of a judge uh, here in Cork City. It was a, a talk organized in uh, UCC by the, the Law Society in partnership with the Students for Sensible Drug Policy. And uh, he, the judge on the evening, I, I questioned him. It was my question. Um, I was like, surely heroin-assisted therapy is the best way we can help these people by getting them out of the back street alleys and into professional therapeutic uh, settings with professionals there with, with compassion and care for them as opposed to handcuffs. And he was like, no, that, that won't work at all. The best way we can help these people is by arresting them. And it's in the prison system then that they'll get the, the help and care that they need. And, and what? That's, 
Yeah, exactly. And, and that flies in the face of what we actually know about a person addicted to heroin. You lock them up, you take away the drug supply for them, you release them, they get their hands on heroin again, and they overdose. Why do they overdose? That month off of the heroin has uh, decreased the, the, the sensitivity, or it hasn't increased the sensitivity, sorry, on their opioid receptors, so that that normal dose they were doing before they went into prison, now they got out of prison, and actually in turn kills them. And they, you know, the, the, the addicts themselves, they don't realize this because you know, the, the information just isn't there, sadly. You know, it's, the, it's the age old just say no kind of approach. And that's what really needs to change. Yeah, I agree. Just say no does not work because the only way I ever figured out what happens when you smoke a joint was by trying it. And then the only way I figured out what would happen with mushrooms was by trying them or acid or anything at all. And it's just like growing up in school or growing up in Ireland, going to school in Ireland, like secondary school, you'd have a priest telling you, no, just yeah. don't do it. Just say no. And it's kind of like, but why? It just looks cool. I want to try it. And I was never too fond of alcohol compared to marijuana. Yeah. I would always gravitate towards marijuana, <laughs> but it being illegal, me wanting to be a teacher in Ireland and all this other stuff, it was a very kind of risky business to try to get involved yeah. in. Uh, I don't know if, uh, if he had it in school, but we had um, ex-addicts come into us as part of um, a kind of a community outreach group or something like that. And they were sharing our stories. But at the time, actually, I think it was quite, um, I don't know, it was irresponsible of whoever it was decided to bring them in. Because we were at an age now where I was actually using cannabis and, uh, and hash, actually. Cannabis was hard to get, actually. It was hash that we had used back then. Um, so we knew um, what these guys were telling us was uh, very misleading and it wasn't uh, fact at all. Like, it wasn't true. Um, because your man come in and he's like, oh, I started off in hash and it was fine. And I ended up using heroin. And, uh, and, and like, it's just a lot of lies. It was, and we could see through it. So straight away, like, all you're doing is you're disengaging your audience. Then if there's any message there you wanted to relate to them, now you're not going to deliver it. Um, so I think that was incredibly irresponsible of uh, the people in charge who were supposed to care for us. If they really cared for us, respect us, tell us the truth. These are drugs. This is the correct dosage. These are the effects. These are the dangers. If you're going to do them, be informed. This is how you do them correctly. This is how you do them safely. Obviously, the best thing to do is not to do them. Please don't do them, kids. But if you are going to do them, this is how you do them correctly. And this is what you, this is maybe, uh, say, for MDMA, let's say, you know, indicators there as to when you should be phoning an ambulance for a person, like simple things like this. Yes. And, and for them not to have to worry as the repercussions, or you were doing something Ill illegal, that in turn makes a person less likely to ring the ambulance. They're going to abandon the scene. Um, so these kind of this information there so we can protect people harm reductions is the main thing i think that's why dr drug policy was formed in the first place and supported um to help people to help our society it's done anything but <laughs> no i think it's knowledge is power and as you said educating people about how to do it what will happen to you if you do it how to identify something that's not what it says on the tin, yeah. for example, if it was laced or anything, and then knowing what to do in case of emergency. That's number one. If a person is having a panic attack, what's the best way to help them? If a person takes MDMA and then suddenly the trip goes bad, well, here's what you can do. And exactly as you said, when to call an ambulance. Um, I work in a community center in downtown Kelowna and I'm teaching English to newcomers to Canada. And we look out our window and every single day, 
we see people shooting up every single day. And before I moved to Canada, I had seen maybe one or two needles. Because, you know, growing up in Sligo, there wasn't a huge amount of drug addiction visible to people. In Canada, it's right in your face. And I've seen people shoot up with the most creative ways or just doing drugs every single day. And of course, a lot of my students come from countries where they're, they don't have the same drug culture. They don't even have alcohol culture or anything like that. And so they look at it and they ask me, is he shooting marijuana or something like that? And they just have no idea what it is that he's doing. So we've had so many conversations about it, but I think it's actually extremely important for them to learn it because they're all parents and their kids are going to school in Canada. And of course, if you go to school in Canada, you are going to be exposed to all of these different drugs here because it is so much more prevalent in society. Yeah, I think having the kids educated, I have two daughters myself and um, my 13 year old, like she knows she can have these conversations with me about drugs and kind of things like that. She knows my background, my campaigning and, and all of that too. Um, so I, I hope now that, um, you know, she's armed with the information there to make the, the correct decisions going forward. But I think there's other parents out there who don't have these conversations. And uh, the first conversation about drugs is with that child's friend or maybe with someone online or something like that. And that's not the best place for them to be getting informed. No. <laughs> no, that's the worst place. And that's where it leads to bigger issues and everything. Now, um, I was just listening to your podcast and I, or your 420 News, and I found it real interesting when you were talking about the different ways people smoke. Yeah. And you were saying that you gave up tobacco. That's right. So why did you? OK, so first of all, for anyone who's listening, there's many, many different ways to smoke cannabis, many different ways to get the benefits of cannabis. So what is your preferred method for taking cannabis? Yeah, my, my preferred, I suppose, would be um, the bong. Um, it's my most go-to. It's kind of just easy, convenient. It's uh, it's quick. Um, the, the effect is felt quick. Um, my second favorite then, and it's probably very close to it, uh, is the volcano vaporizer. Yes. Starts and pickle like a, it's some piece of machinery, honestly. Um, but vaporization, like it's a, a close second um it, it's almost as quick as a bong for uh, the delivery at least the volcano is i, I tried out the other handheld uh, vaporizers they're they're not as good um yeah yeah i see so some of them are you you can get different ones that are they can kind of give you a nice uh, smoke feel but I, I what did i use now the handheld ones i had the iolite actually which was the irish made one and um that just it, it was lovely it was nice to use um but it just it was too slow um you were only yeah. getting little bit of delivery and um it was quite inefficient then the 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 avb the the bud afterwards like it was quite potent because uh the edibles from my iolite were much stronger than the edibles from my avb from the volcano so the volcano like it really strips the plant material of uh, of its goodies whereas the iolite it was leaving a lot behind and i found out with other uh, handheld vapes as well i've used um the whisper which is from the iolite guys as well um the Da Vinci I used as well. That's nice. Um, I love the the attachment there for the oils and the extracts as well on that one. That was a good boat, the Da Vinci. Um, but again, none of them were just quick enough uh, as a po- uh, compared to the Volcano. Um, the Volcano but, is like the Cadillac of yeah. vapes. There is no doubt about it. The Volcano would be my number one if they could come up with silent bags. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> Crinkling like it's it's 
it's just oh, I don't know did you ever be in a cinema trying to watch a movie and there's that guy with the potatoes like you know that's how I feel with the volcano bag when I'm watching a movie with herself I'm like trying to take a hit off it and be as quiet as possible or even when you turn it on the noise of just the whole like machine going with a fan blowing around and everything it's not exactly quiet as you said <laughs> oh definitely not so um but yeah that they're probably my two uh, preferred but why I gave up smoking tobacco, actually, I think you were going to ask that there uh, a while back, is um, years back, um, I was kind of getting back into Thai boxing, getting on top of my fitness and health. And I found my cardio was, it, it was diabolical. It was shocking. Um, my ability to run and uh, just stay uh, and endure kind of, it, it just wasn't there. And that kind of motivated me to give up bags and tobacco. And uh, my friends helped as well, actually, that they were in Thai boxing as well with me. So the agreement was uh, I tried and I failed like two or three times and the lads had been successful in kicking their tobacco smoking. So did, what our agreement was and what got me over the line was uh, if I get went back on tobaccos, they were allowed to give me 10 free body shots. <laughs> and uh, that, that was motivation enough not to smoke again for me. Um, but within a month of giving up that tobacco, um, I was smoking pure still. Uh, I was given the bong a try, but it was mostly kind of just rolling up a uh, pure uh, weed. Um, but I, st- I noticed that I would say a good 50% improvement in improvement in my cardio capacity within a month, just one month of no tobacco and my cardio just blew up. I was just like, whoa, I, I was amazed by the change. Um, I've never looked back once or twice. I've been in a situation where I had no cannabis and I was in my cousin's house and they smoked with uh, tobacco and it smelled lovely. I was sitting there and I was like, Mick, that smells lovely. Go on and get some taste. So go on and uh, not from the, the moment that uh, the smoke hit my lips uh, inside my mouth, it was just nothing but tobacco could be tasted. It was rotten. I could smell the weed through the smoke in the air. It was beautiful. And then I was just like, oh, no, no, no. Thank-. Yeah, when I, when I first moved to Canada and, of course, coming from Ireland, I smoke a lot of joints in Ireland, but what <laughs> they call spliffs over here. So I just remember you were talking about that. So in Ireland, a joint is cannabis and tobacco. Yep. In Canada... A joint is just cannabis and a spliff is cannabis and tobacco. Oh, so and, it was up yesterday, so I think. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, it took me a while to figure it out. And in Canada, a blunt is going to be with like um, a hemp wrap up. or something yeah. like that. You know, one of these tobacco wraps maybe would be um, a joint or sorry, a blunt, excuse me, a blunt. So they're pretty powerful and strong and great. But um <laughs> Yeah, when I first moved to Toronto, I was walking home. It was like my second night in Toronto and I was walking through a neighborhood, just going back to uh, my house. And I was just trying to think, like, where am I going to get weed? Because it's like one of the first things I always sussed out whenever I moved to a new city or a new country or anywhere. And of course, I smelled something in the air and I just followed my nose and I saw two guys sitting on a porch and I kind of just like walked up and I said, excuse me, um, do you know where I could possibly buy some cannabis? (laughs) <laughs> and the guy looks at me and he just goes, where are you from? And I go, I'm from Ireland, sir. And he goes, well, I know that. What part? And I go, I'm from Sligo. The guy was from Cork City, the guy oh, who I was talking to. <laughs> <laughs> and then he brought me into his house. And uh, of course, in Canada, he just had a rake of weed and everything. And he also had um, a little side business where he would import Irish meat. So he sent me on my way home with the equivalent of what might be like, 100 euros worth in Ireland so quite a lot of cannabis in Canada because it's so cheap over here 
as yeah. well as with some sausages and some rashers as well. So it was pretty nice, mm-hmm. but that, <laughs> that's a tangent. Sorry, but to go back, um, I actually just gave up smoking spliffs now completely as well, smoking tobacco. And as you said, cardio through the roof. Holy yeah. moly. Um, a year ago, I did a swim in, in Kelowna, two kilometer swim across a lake. And about halfway through, I could really feel myself gasping for air. And it was not a nice feeling. It was like something that I had never really experienced because I'd always been a fairly decent swimmer. And I was just thinking, I need to really change this up. So long story short, I cut out all tobacco, started smoking just blunts, started smoking from my vaporizer a lot more. And I think you mentioned it in your news as well. I smoke a lot less cannabis. Oh, my God. This is such a difference. Um, can, can I ask, actually, uh, when, when you started giving up, uh, how, how did you find that initially? Um, like, the, say, the first week, um, the cravings, were, were you getting them? Yes. And I had to look it up online to be like, am I crazy? Or is my body, like, freaking out right now? Because I went cold turkey on cannabis for, like, two weeks. I didn't smoke any cannabis at all. So I just stopped smoking everything. And yeah. to go from having something every day to not having it at all, your body is going to freak out a bit. So I got some heart palpitations. I noticed I was just like, my heart was beating a lot faster and stuff. And I was kind of like, what's going on. But of course, I, I always said to people, I'm not a smoker. I don't smoke cigarettes, but I'm just a liar. If I said that, because with every joint I had, I'd be rolling a bit of cigarette and a bit of tobacco into it. So I feel it was a lot of nicotine withdrawals as well, but cravings were there um especially when i would sit down on a friday night and i'd be like all right now is the part where i usually roll i like the ritual of rolling a joint and everything so yeah it was weird man yeah it's certainly something to lose all right is that one and rolling the joints that's one i lose i, I miss actually i have one yeah. rolled up around here actually but, um yeah from time to time i like to roll one up but uh if you can see the nice cone shape there as yeah. well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's just something enjoying, enjoying about it. And looking at it then afterwards, you're like, oh yeah, that's a little piece of art. <laughs> it is. And that's what I do miss about it. And I was fortunate to work in a cannabis shop for a short time. And we got real creative with rolling joints there. Real creative and stuff. And it's a lot of fun. It's a nice pastime to do, to just sit there grind it up, get your papers, and then just try to figure out and then look up online and be like, all right, he made a cross joint. How do I make a cross joint right now, for example? So, Yeah, that Good famous times. Pineapple Express. Right? Not long after that movie, we made that cross joint. Like, you have oh. to. Everyone has to do it at least once. <laughs> I might have a picture of that somewhere, actually, still, I'd say, in one of my old folders. <laughs> do you have a, a favorite strain? Uh, I have a, a favorite, stra- two strains, uh, it's going back to years ago, I used to do a bit of grown. And um, I was in Amsterdam at the time. Uh, it was probably my first trip to Amsterdam, actually. Uh, no, sorry, my first trip, I got Early Pearl and Grillo Gusto. Those were the two strains from uh, Sensei Seeds. First ever cannabis I grew, that was those two strains. Um, my most favorite uh, has to be, I, I would say, Lemon Skunk from, uh, I think it was DNA Genetics or Reserva Pervada, um, one of those seed companies anyway. Um, it was absolutely the most tastiest weed I've ever had. Um, I, I went on a cruise with the Royal Caribbean around the Mediterranean and uh, kind of off the coast of Africa, and I brought that with me, and um, the last of it, so it was really well cured. 
and uh, it was called lemon skunk and it really delivered on the the flavor like that that citrusy kind of flavor it just sat in your mouth for for a little bit um it actually, you know, you get cotton mouth from stuff. This one made your mouth water. Um, it was complete opposite. It was amazing. And um, a, a very close then to that would be the chocolope. Um, chocolope was uh, just, I don't know, it was just something you could smoke all day long. It didn't make you incredibly stoned, but it reg- made you really high. It was a lovely, creative, energizing um, smoke. I, I really loved that. Um, I, I, I like Indicas and, and all that, but... Um, I'm a very much uh, an active stoner. I like to to be up and doing things throughout the day. As I say, I teach Thai boxing, self-defense, run with my dogs. So sometimes uh, having only indicas can be a bit counterproductive to those. <laughs> I am so, all for sativas. I am all for getting out there, being active, trying to get creative. Um, I remember we, so in the store I was working, we came, we had a big safe and we went through the safe one day and we found a load of like small bags in the back that have been just sitting there for like two years or something. So we started to have a look through it and they, these came from Vancouver Island, which is just off the coast of Canada. And that is where a lot of hippies live and they grow a lot of fine cannabis. And that was my first time to try Durban Poison and Maui Wowi. And those two strains there were just completely uplifting, euphoric, definitely not your indicas, definitely want to get you moving and everything. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. Durban poison is a Dutch passions uh, seed and uh, or at least uh, over here anyway, that's where I've seen Durban poison. I've gotten to taste that one before actually as well. It was uh, it was beautiful. I had a lovely kind of purpley kind of color as well to it. Um, it was really nice uh, quality. And again, sativa, like you just can't beat them not enough yeah. of them over here actually i think uh sativas sometimes get a bit of a bad name because uh i don't know, i think it's the more reflective of the market uh if you're not getting stoned if you're not monged um you're after getting that ripped off or something i, I don't know um I, I think there's a certain kind of a hatred there to the sativa effect uh just within the irish cannabis community um i think it's all about being stoned <laughs> so that actually comes back to like an unhealthy relationship with cannabis as well where if your only goal is to smoke it and get monged, to get wasted, to sit in your couch and everything, then you're not, for me, you're not really getting the main benefits yeah. of it. And like I was just shown on camera earlier, this vape here that I have, this is not going to get you monged by any means at all. It will get you stoned, but it'll get you stoned enough that you can still function, that you can still do things. And that's what I really, really enjoy about the different strains. Mm-hmm. But isn't sativa doesn't it take longer to grow as well compared to indicas it can definitely but there's um there's breeders out there now who maintain retain the sativa effects but they're able to get the um the shorter flowering effect there from the the indica so you might have a 10 or 20 percent indica within the strain um but primarily the the sativa will shine through um and a good breeder then can get those phenotypes down to you know be maybe one or two phenotypes within the seeds um, which would be really good. Um, I think that's a big problem out there as well, actually, within the, the community is there is a lot of seed producers, but there's actually very little in the way of seed breeders. Um, and I think there, there, that needs to be shown now. Um, I think as the, the community, uh, I don't know, grows, I suppose, as pardon the pun there, like, but, um, <laughs> you know, people are going to see these now. Um, so you buy a 10 pack of seeds and you get 10 different types of plants within that seed packet. That is not good. That is a seed producer, um, a seed breeder. You should get a 10 pack of seeds. And within that, 
Um, it should stated on the pack actually that this contains one or two phenotypes and it, one of them is going to short and bushy and it's going to give you a more of an indica effect and one could be taller and more lankier and that one's going to give you the sativa and they should actually be even able to indicate sometimes maybe a difference in the flowering times but I, I just think there's a lot more seed producers than seed breeders and they're taking advantage of uh, the cannabis growers out there all these funny bloody names and all of this creative kind of uh, play with words describing a strain um, and then you get it and you're like what the hell is this like all these different phenotypes it's not matching what it's said on the, the packet or on the packet at all um so yeah i think that's a big issue out there <laughs> that is certainly an issue especially over here as well is the name of what you're smoking because a lot of companies try to put their own stamp on it and they might change the name and you know they don't say get high it's all about get elevated now and everything so it's kind of like a lot of marketing a lot of marketing goes into it a lot of bullshit i like to say as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like just tell me what happens don't try jazz it up what is this originally? So I yeah. guess that's why it's really good to still go to the growers. And of course, legal. in Canada, it's legal to grow. And um, so, yeah, you can even walk through the airport with it. What I love in Canada is when I go into the airport, there's a cannabis bin. There's a giant <laughs> bin. And it's like, please dispose of cannabis if you're flying internationally. So you can walk into the airport with as much as you want, or not as much as you want to a certain limit. But I mean, if you're taking an international flight, which I will be, walk into the airport with your candy bar or something like that and just before you get on your flight you can just eat it all and there's no problems at all it's it's a beautiful system what, what about smoking at the airport is the if you went out to the smoking area you can't smoke. no smoking areas no smoking areas in canada okay outdoors yes. no all thing. the airports are indoors so they're it's kind of like they have a huge war against tobacco and yeah. they're very successful at getting people to stop smoking of course now the rise of vapes is just a, just yeah. undone a lot of the good work they've done. But so much so that if you go to a bar, you have to theoretically walk like five meters away if you want to smoke. And in Canada, you can't have a beer and a cigarette in your hand at the same time. So well, like it's not law. Sorry, it's not law saying, well, hey, you well, can't yeah. do it. But <laughs> if you're in a bar and you yeah. can't have a drink and yeah. you can't go to the smoking area, you must leave the premises if you want to smoke. Yeah, because you could be five meters away from the, the door. Yeah. Or that, that's so, a good policy, to be fair, because that's one of my most hated things is walking in a doorway and there's a couple of people crowded around with smoke and they're bloody fake. Just like, oh, yuck. <laughs> well, last time we went home to Sligo, we went to a bar and straight away we started smoking again. After not smoking cigarettes for like a year, myself and my girlfriend started smoking because we sat smoking. outside with a pint of Guinness. And of course, there's a person rolling a cigarette and it's like, oh, here, let me roll one there, would you? Yeah. And it's just such a slippery slope. It's horrible. Yeah. Drink, it's the gateway drug. <laughs> I am telling you, marijuana is not your gateway drug. It is all alcohol. First time I tried anything was with alcohol in my system. So, yeah. <laughs> so what, what was that transition like actually going to, to, uh, to Canada from, from Ireland? So, um, so I actually went from Spain to Canada. So I lived in Spain okay. just before moving to Canada. And in Spain, it was fairly decent. Uh, there was a guy... I didn't speak any Spanish, but I found a dealer fairly swiftly. I would just text him number one or number two, and it'd be like for a half ounce or for a full ounce or something like that. And the yeah. idea was in 10 minutes, I'd meet him by the bridge. Because like we, he didn't speak English, I didn't speak Spanish, but we had it down to a system. So it worked, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, 
moving to Canada was good, but Toronto was a little difficult to get sorted with weed at first because yeah. it was still illegal. Yeah. yeah. Um, moving to British Columbia, I mean, as soon as you get off the plane in BC, you, you get a whiff of weed. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. Like every, there's, it's so popular here. You walk down the street in the summer, you can smell weed everywhere. You go to yeah. the beach, someone is smoking a joint or a bong on the beach. Well, BC, I suppose it is the, the epicenter of kind of the Canadian cannabis culture. You know, that BC bud was just the, the, the famous kind of bud that was talked about going back a bit. Um, the, the Union also is based there too, isn't it? The Union documentary yeah. that was made in BC. Uh, I watched that. And that's when I decided I wanted to move to BC. <laughs> oh, <really>? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched that and I decided I wanted BC to move here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it, it goes on here, I think. And uh, it's something, it's worth mentioning how much uh, the, the drug market stimulates the local economy. Um, you have local drug dealers, they get access to money. They're spending that money within the community there. Um, so there definitely is a, a need to have these people there to, to stimulate the economy. If you remove them all, there's going to be less of a taking at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, I just find it like, as you said earlier, it's frustrating though. When you go to buy some weed in Ireland, it's kind of hard to buy ethical weed. Yeah. Whereas in Canada, it's like, I know exactly where the money's going. It's going to this mom and pop who've been growing weed for 25 years and they're going to buy something for their grandkids or they're going to buy something for their kids. It's going to go to that kid's education. But in Ireland, it might actually be going to someone very dangerous. So Somebody controlling slaves, uh, the Vietnamese guys that to be working in the grow houses. Like, I couldn't believe that. That's a message I bang out all the time on the podcast is know your source, know who you're supporting. Um, when when I used to sell cannabis before, as I say, I became a dad at a young age. I was a dad at uh, 17. My daughter was born in June. I turned 18 in September. So uh, there was three months there. I was a dad at the age of 17. And um, I was dealing at the time. Um, so if somebody bought cannabis off me at that time, they were supporting my family. Like They, they weren't supporting some big criminal enterprise. Um, but what I will say is, where was I getting my cannabis? <laughs> yeah, That's one thing I, I always kind of, realizes back then even when i was selling cannabis uh, the biggest benefit to me was i didn't have to buy it um that's kind of why i sold it really is uh, just so i didn't have to buy it smoke for free smoke for free yeah i suppose yeah. there was always a cost with uh, i could have been paying with my freedom if i got caught with it which i almost did one time um i was driving back from just after picking up a, a half a kilo of cannabis and uh, i had it hidden under the the bonnet of my car and I was driving back in the road and I drove into a checkpoint and uh, the guy was checking my tax and insurance. And that was where my uh, the, the weed was hidden just below that under the bonnet. So like he was inches from it. And all I was thinking, I was like, I hope the smell isn't drifting up from under that bonnet. I hope it was well sealed. And thankfully it was. But uh, that was enough of a fright that time, really, to kind of open me up to the reality of what I was doing. And I changed my ways pretty quickly then after that um i didn't stop dealing i just stopped getting half kilos i stopped getting that i just went back to, to just picking up an ounce splitting it into six bags i would keep one and i would sell the other five and uh that was kind of it then i would cover my the cost of my cannabis <laughs> yeah yeah it's a uh, half a kilo that's going to put you in jail so oh yeah yeah half a kilo is ten thousand euro worth here in ireland 20 euro yeah. a gram and that's probably like a hundred hundred dollars worth in Canada or something. Oh, <laughs> no, it would it wouldn't be that much. It wouldn't be that much. But yeah, a wholesale 
<laughs> oh man, I often laugh when I see, not laugh, laugh and cry when I see a Garda seizure in Ireland and they say they got 10,000 euros worth. And then I just look at it and I kind of like think, how much is that in Canada? And it's like two grand, if even. It's disgusting. Yeah. I seen one there in, I think it was Scotland or somewhere in England anyway. And uh, the court, what they'd done was they caught a grower and uh, they worked out the potential that the garden had to produce within the year. It wasn't just what they caught them with. They actually said, no, you could make this much in the year and uh, we're going to charge her for this. Um, I think you had to pay back like six and a half thousand uh, pounds in uh, criminal uh, earnings or something along those lines but they estimated how much he could have made within the year. I think they estimated it in somewhere in the region of £20,000. And because he only had like £6,500 in his bank, we're just going, yeah, we're just going to take this. And they just took it. They just took his money. So sad. Yeah, crazy. Well, they didn't take it. They made him give it. And uh, the alternative was go to prison. (laughs) And they were probably... Yeah, that's when you just give it up and you just hope you don't get a record as well or something like that. I mean, getting a record... Even in Ireland, I have a friend or two who got records for like having a half ounce. And it's just, this is well, I have a record for personal possession and it was never more than, I don't know, five grams of cannabis. I was never caught with more than five grams of cannabis and uh, I have criminal records now for that. And sadly, it actually led That's... to me not being able to go to America where I was due to take part in the, the International Students for Sensible Drug Policy Conference and also the UN Special Assembly on Narcotics. Um, so as a young student, I was going over to participate in that, uh, represent Ireland, and I was denied that opportunity because of uh, my sinful crime of possessing cannabis, you know. <laughs> a whole five grams yeah, worth. Think of all the babies I killed. Like. <laughs> <laughs> That's disgusting. It's so frustrating. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that it changes. I'm hoping that in Ireland they do, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, forgiveness or um, amnesties, yeah, I think it is, or something, because they do that spent in Canada. Convictions, now. I think, is what we call it here, is just where they tear your convictions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hope. You were done with uh, five grams of cannabis. Yeah, let's take that off your record. Now you can travel, get visas, well, do everything else. We actually as have that here at the moment. So, do you know, if, let's say you're up for uh, domestic abuse. Let's say you bait your wife, and uh, it happened a couple of years ago. You can go and have that criminal conviction cleared off your name. But, you know, I can't because mine is drugs. Like, so a, a wife abuser, a man who beats his wife can go and have his name cleared after a couple of years. But because I got caught with cannabis, I can't. Because mine is drugs. There's a massive it, double standard. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I think it was Lynn Ruan was the senator behind that bill. And uh, she had to take out the part that uh, included drugs because uh, the guys who were want to be supporting the bill they were like we're not going to support it if drugs are in there we don't mind supporting men who abuse their wives but we're not going to support drug users ah isn't it frustrating yeah especially i have a court case coming up now on the next week um either next monday or tuesday week and uh, it's for 10 euro worth of cannabis a joint basically this like what i have here that's what i'm up for i got caught with one of these (laughs) Well, I was reading yesterday, there was a guy in Drogheda who confessed to having five euros worth yeah, of cannabis. Yeah, you, you probably didn't finish 420 News. I actually covered that there. No, yeah, not yet. I covered that in, uh, at the end of it there. Uh, ridiculous. Uh, he got a month for that. A month, a yeah. Month. But in, 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 I suppose, not really to defend the judge, but the guy was up already for sale and supply. He was actually in custody. He was already locked up. Um, but they're 
adding a month onto it, which costs the taxpayer here somewhere in the region of like five to eight thousand euro. It's a hundred thousand per year per prisoner in Ireland. Um, so locking wow. a guy up for five euros worth of cannabis is going to cost our state um, five to eight thousand euro. That's money well spent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't, we, that money would not be better served going to homeless people or to our hospitals or to our educational system. You know, it's, uh, it's better served locking up these dangerous criminals for five euro worth exactly. of cannabis. Yeah. And I, 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 and who knows? I, I covered there in, in that 420 News actually was uh, our Navy you now are after being tipped as uh, the gatekeepers for Europe. Um, so we're basically the gatekeepers for this war on drugs uh, in keeping the cartels cannabis and cocaine from entering uh, Europe because um, Ireland uh, now is a target of these submersibles, uh, submarines coming across the water. Crazy. Carry on like, but we're, we're just going to invest more money because that, that's what I picked up from the article anyway is the guys that's trying to fairmonger the, the politicians and uh, the guys there to, to increase the budgets for them because they, they actually in the article they talk about uh, oh but they're not just going to transport drugs they're going to do explosives next and they're going to blow up uh, por- tourist ships in the ports and stuff uh, that was kind of in the article from this dude uh, who's the head of the, the marine and operational research center or something like that analysis center um so like the, the, it's a lot of fear-mongering um, and it's it's not money well spent at, at all if we it, like let's say for cocaine I, I don't use cocaine um i've used it before when i was drunk uh, against my better um kind of knowledge I, I know not that it's not really uh it's something that i would want to use myself but when i was drunk i did but if we were to just say legalize and control the supply of that, uh, sell it through a pharmacy and a person, an adult can go in and make a, a purchase. So like, let's say something like Panadol, it's limited now how much Panadol you can buy in Ireland. If I go into the shop, I can only buy one box of Panadol. Why can't we do the same for cocaine? Let's say like, here you go, sir, like there, that's your a gram of cocaine. That's all you're allowed to buy today in the shop and uh, it's for your own protection. Why can't we do that yeah. for cocaine? I don't understand why we can't do that for cocaine. Um, whatever about the effects, like I think that's just some judgmental and moralistic, misguided nonsense um, as to drug use and, and, and all of that. If a person wants to use cocaine, um, why should we stop them? We, we should inform them. Um, maybe you want to try some coca, tea, uh, cocaine, or coca leaf tea. You know, maybe that would be a better alternative to people. Maybe we'd actually open up some coca tea leaf bars where people could go and sip on a brew of coca leaf tea and have a nice stimulated conversation. Um, why are we so judgmental as the, the drug use and creating all of these problems that don't need to exist? I've been saying it for years as well. And I'd always talk to my friends, my family, my cousins about it and everything. And it's just like, make it legal, regulate it. You'll stop the dangerous imports. You'll take the criminal aspect away from it. And it you know it will happen. It'll just take time. What I hate about it is that uh, I, as a cannabis consumer, am here calling for reform of uh, the drug policy for the cocaine users. I, where are the cocaine users in this? Like, there is no cocaine using community at all. Like, they're, they're, they're so ashamed of what they do. Like, they really are. They go into the bathroom, they hide it. Uh, like, so many people I know who use cocaine, um, and they, they're they won't admit it even though they, i know exactly that they're they're using cocaine they, they won't admit to it um or you you mean to think that that i i can see you drinking 10 pints and not get drunk and, and not think that you're on cocaine come on off the stage now lad <laughs> you know and i think that's a lot of uh, the usage of cocaine actually is because of people wanting to to drink more and not get drunk <laughs> i think that's why a lot of irish people would use cocaine it's just the the hide 
and help that drinking culture. I noticed when I got home last time, two years ago, uh, the amount of people taking cocaine had skyrocketed in Sligo. Mm-hmm. And it's become extremely popular. And so many of my friends that I went to school with are now have an unhealthy relationship with cocaine. It's the primary thing, actually, fueling this, uh, the violence on the streets in Ireland, uh, up, especially up in Drogheda. The drug gangs up in Drogheda, it's cocaine is actually their number one. Um, here in Clark City, I, I'm hearing it now. It's something that I didn't see on uh, in the my age population when I was kind of in that uh, teens and uh, 20s age and um, cocaine wasn't a big thing back then but now for teenagers cocaine is actually so available it's getting a bit cheaper and crack cocaine now is becoming a thing in, uh, in Cork in Ireland um, and, and we know like that's just their cheaper form of cocaine really Cool well I was expecting this to go on for 20 minutes we've been here for almost 60 minutes oh, <laughs> time sorry. no yeah. do not be sorry time <laughs> Flies. This has been extremely insightful, extremely interesting. Uh, I can't thank you enough for agreeing to come on. Um, do you have any questions for me before we wrap it up? No, um, not not that I can think of. Really, uh, just thanks very much for having me on. Anyway, it was uh, it was a pleasure to share the story with you. And um, yeah, if people want to find out more, sure, all my stuff is up there in Martin's World. And uh, yeah, I, I would be more than happy to come back on any time in the future too, if uh, if you want. <laughs> Absolutely, I can't wait. So I'm just going to hit the stop record button. All right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the Authentic English Conversation Podcast number eight. Ooh, that was a long one, right? What an interesting conversation. I think the work that Martin is doing is so important and necessary. I feel the work he is doing is going to pave the way for future generations to live in a more drug-friendly or drug-understanding world. Overall, it was an honour to have him on the podcast and I can't wait to have him on again. Remember, transcripts for the podcast are available on my website, as well as a vocab list and expression list, which there was plenty of in this one. Okay, so now it's morning. It's afternoon or evening where Martin is. But for me, I'm going to go sip on some coffee and get ready for my hike. Enjoy the rest of the day, folks, and thank you so much for listening. Remember, if there is someone, if you did not like this podcast, please share it with someone you hate. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with someone you love. Have a great one, folks. See you later.